Hey, welcome back. My name is Corey Williams. I'm excited to be doing this series together with you on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. Well, today we are talking about the subject of love. And uh, let me paraphrase Phil Riken, the president of Wheaton College and Graduate School. He said something like this. He said, to write or speak on the topic of love is both the greatest privilege and the greatest humiliation. And I feel all of that today. It is a privilege to be talking on the subject of love. It is also very humiliating as I look at my own deficiencies, uh, but I'm so grateful for the work of God in our hearts and in our lives that transforms us to become more like Christ. So let's spend a few moments in prayer asking for God's help and blessing on our time together. Bow with me if you would. Lord, we pray right now that you by your spirit would change us. Help us to be more like Christ. Help us to love. Let your church, the community of faith, be a place of love for your glory. Amen. Amen. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The first on the list of the fruit of the Spirit is this incredible reality of love. Uh, let me show it to you in the section in which we find the list of the fruit of the Spirit. I want to show you the context here. Uh, it really is the, the entire emphasis of the chapter, uh, the section that we're in at least. It, it's telling us the importance of the church being a place of love. So that it comes kind of at the top, the first bookend, and then, you know, in summary at the back end too. It's telling us the church needs to be a place where love is experience. So let's look at it, verses 13 and 14. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying to this church that he helped to found, he's saying you have this freedom, but don't use that freedom inappropriately. You have a freedom, but be sure to use that freedom in a way that actually fosters greater degrees of love within the community. So the church in, in uh, Galatia, they were uh, being taught some false realities, and so Paul's kind of combating the false teaching, and then the church is now divided over some things, and they're trying to figure out, okay, what does Christianity actually look like? And here he's addressing this thing that uh, we, we might call Christian liberty, um, it's, Paul teaches about it in other places and he uses the word freedom to talk about that. Uh, it's basically the reality that much of the, much of the Christian experience is actually lived in a realm of wisdom, meaning not everything about Christianity falls in the categories of black and white, right? There are certain things that God commands and instructs us on that are just very clear. You do this, you don't do that. But much of the experience of Christian life is lived in the realm of freedom that you you have to figure out what is the character of god what 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 do you suppose god is like and how do you suppose he would want you to live in this in this area and that's the realm of of wisdom so you have some freedom there not everyone has to agree on everything that happens in the christian life so so he's saying you know you've got some freedom here but do not use that freedom to indulge the flesh now this is kind of the realm where a lot of the fighting is happening right now it's in the realm of debatable things, non-essentials, but 
areas in the freedom in freedom where we can say, look, I believe that God's character leads me in this direction and Christianity ought to look and feel like this. But here's the problem. When you take that freedom and you indulge the flesh, you begin to inflict harm on other people. The way that I've been thinking about it lately is when we're indulging the flesh, it means that we're taking our opinion as, as informed as it may be, as right as it may feel. But what we do when we indulge the flesh is we weaponize that opinion. We take morality and we weaponize it, or we take our convictions and we weaponize it. And we say, everybody ought to feel like I do. That's indulging the flesh. That's, that's allowing the flesh to take a, a truth and maybe a beautiful truth, but then to misuse it in a way that is doing harm. It's saying here, don't do that. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So instead of taking your conviction and weaponizing it, serve other people humbly in love. Look at other people and think, I care deeply for them and I will do whatever is necessary to see to their good. That's a different posture. That's a different way of cultural engagement in this moment. And that's what I hope that we can do as a church family. But it goes on to say, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a fascinating thing to say. He's, he's saying, look, the entire way of God can be summarized with one word, love. The entire law is fulfilled in the keeping of the, this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, there's this realm of freedom where, where we're, we're trying to figure out what does it look like to be obedient to God? What does it look like to live under his leadership and rulership of our lives? And, and here Paul is saying, look, if you're, if you're fulfilling the law, it's going to look like love. But looking at it from the opposite direction, it's actually saying also that you can't really be fulfilling the law if you're not loving. So if you're holding a conviction, but you're using it as a weapon to try to inflict harm on, on your opponent, on your enemy, something's amiss there. Something is not right there because the entire law is summarized in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan pastor, he preached a bunch of sermons on, on the topic of love, and then it became a, a published work called Charity and Its Fruits. And it's a beautiful uh, classic book on the subject of love. And the first sermon that he gave in that series, he titled it like this. He, he, he titled it, Love is the Sum of All Virtue. And the point that he was making there, and I think he was right, is that Love is actually the fountainhead of all the other beautiful Christian experiences. It's a preeminent thing in which we, in, in which we, we uh, need as Christians. He, he puts it like this, love is of such a nature that it will produce all other virtues. Um, I guess the point is, there's a reason why love comes at the front end of the list. There's a reason why love is this thing that is, you know, bookending the entire conversation about the fruit of the Spirit. Love is the thing to be done. Edwards puts it like this, love is the main principle in the heart of the real Christian. So the labor, labor of love is the main business of the Christian life. It is the thing to be done right now. Our, and so my question is, are we intentional with this labor of love? Are you presently pursuing love 
as the goal. That you would want to be so filled with the Spirit that the people who are interacting with you are experiencing something of the love of God. See, that's what we're being called to in this. We're being called to come out on the other side of this experience, being known for being the people who are loving. Well, let's look at the second book and at the tail end there in verses 25 and 26. It says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's saying, look, the way of the Spirit, as he spells out earlier, is this way of love. So let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So you have freedom. Don't misuse that freedom. Rather, humbly serve each other in love. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in this way of God and let us not become conceited, doing harm within our relationship. So this is the point that we made last time. We said it like this. True Christianity will be felt and experienced in the realm of relationship. True Christianity manifests itself in the way that we deal with other people. And this is of critical importance. Christianity right now needs to be known for being a religion of love. So what is it? What does it look like? Walt Kaiser, uh, I've heard him say this before, love is a, a, a what word, not a how word. Uh, love is what we're to be doing, but we also need to ask the question, how would that actually play out? What would that entail? What, what, what do we need to be doing in order to be loving? Obviously, love is the fulfillment of the entire law, but how will we know if we're actually being loving? Well, you kind of, you go back to the word of God and you fill it in. So let's do that. Let's fill in what we mean when we say we want to be a community of love. Let's go to 1 John 3.16. When I do um, premarital counseling, uh, one of the verses that almost always shows up either in the premarital sessions or in the ceremony itself is 1 John 3.16. And I do that because I want to help couples come up with a biblical understanding of the reality of love. So culture will say things like this, love is a force of nature. Love is a feeling and you can fall into it and you can fall out of it, but you're kind of at its mercy. But then when I look at scriptures and I look at how the scriptures describe love, I begin to see those two things aren't, you know, they're, they're not the same. What culture is saying and what the Bible is saying are not identical. The biblical vision of love is much better. It's much more solid and durable. 1 John 3.16, it reads like this. This is how we know what love is. So it's about to give us kind of the picture of love in action. So this is kind of that lean-in moment where you go, okay, what is it? What does it look like? What, it, what does it entail? And here's how it's described in 1 John 3.16. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So here's what love looks like. It looks like Calvary. It looks like God's commitment to our good, even at great cost to himself. So love is a relentless commitment to the good of another. It's looking at somebody and saying, okay, if I'm going to love you, I'm going to desire what is best for you. I'm going to pursue that, even if it means harm to myself. It's a sacrificial reality, a relentless commitment to the good of another, a laying down of life for our brothers and sisters. That is a beautiful picture 
That's what we're being called to. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So let's stay there in 1 John 3 for a few minutes, and let's just look at what John teaches us about love. He just described it for us um, at Calvary and, and how we ought to love other people. But let's look at the entire paragraph there. Love is what we're being called to do. Verse 11, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. That's a very familiar thing for us. We're being called as the people of God to love one another. But one of the ways that we do that is we avoid its opposite. So in verse 12, he gives us a, a parallel reality. We're called to love each other. This is the message from the beginning. Love each other, but be careful not to do this. Verse 12, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So we have to avoid the way of Cain. You go, who's Cain? Cain and his brother Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve. So at the very front of the Bible, Genesis chapter 4, we get this story about Cain and Abel. And here in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, we're being told, do not go the way of Cain. Do not be like Cain. You're supposed to love your brother. So don't be like Cain, who didn't love his brother, but loved himself. The problem with Cain, we could describe it in this way. The problem that Cain had was pride and self-interest. Pride is like everything is about me and about my concerns and about what I want. And self-interest is exactly that. It's saying, look, everything exists to serve me. Pride and self-interest is the way of Cain. And when you're doing that, you're not loving other people. You're seeing other people as a threat to your happiness. And so that's what Cain did. He looked at his brother and his brother was causing him problems. And so he, began, he, he got resentful and then he murdered him. So the Bible's telling us, don't be like Cain. His actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. You need to be a people who are loving. So it tells us too not to be surprised when we are hated. If we're loving other people, that doesn't excuse us from the experience of being treated with resentment. In fact, that's the, the point that he makes in verse 13. Um, verse 12, his actions, Cain's actions were evil. His brothers were righteous. Verse 13, so do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If you're loving, that doesn't mean that you're going to skate through life worry-free. The, the fact that you love might actually even provoke a, an animosity toward you. But if you love people, you'll have proof of godliness in your life. Look at verses 14 and 15. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So it's saying that the... The, the presence of love is evidence of God. You know that you've passed from death to life if you are, because you are loving each other. But if you do not love, then you remain in death. Chris Wright says, love then is a matter of life and death. This is, this is not an optional teaching on Christianity. This is at the very core and essence of what it means to be a Christian. We are a people 
of love and we will know that we're authentic if we're looking at other people with that sort of disposition, humbly serving them in love, and we'll know that there's a problem if we're having issues with our brothers and sisters and we're hating of them. In fact, it's telling us here that hatred leads to murderous intentions. And I know that that's a harsh reality, but we just have to own it. When we look at our opponent, we say, I really despise them. We're moving in the direction of Cain and into the realm of the evil one. So we need to be a people who are loving others well. We get to verse 16 then, and that's where we started, but it's telling us that this is what it looks like. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then we see love takes action and initiative. It's not just talk. It's not just an idea. It shows up. Verse 17 and 18, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Love takes action. Love does something. Love sees a brother or sister in need and wants what's best for them and then moves toward them in real, tangible acts of love. So we need to be a people who are doing that, a people who are committed to that. Now, I want to take you into 1 John chapter 4 and just show you one verse here. And I'm trying to underline something that I said last time. But I want you to realize the significance of whether or not we embrace this way of love and its effect on the mission of the church. I've been thinking a lot lately about where we're going together and kind of the question of who will we be on the other side of the pandemic? What will we be known for as the church emerges from, you know, going through a pandemic and isolation and hardship and social unrest? What is the future of the church? And I, I, what I want to say to you is I hope and pray that what we come out on the other side with is a, is a clarified focus on who we are as a community of love. I, I hope that we come away with being known for being a place where people love each other. Of all the things that people might describe of us in the future, may it be said of us that we are a people who love each other well. That is the mission of the church, and it comes with great opportunity. So 1 John 4, let's look at it here. Verse 12, it says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Here's, this is a fascinating connection. It's saying that the church can be the place where the reality of God is made evident. The church can be the place where the reality of God is made visible. Okay, no one has ever seen God because he's invisible, but here's the connection, here's the implication. If we love each other, then his reality becomes pronounced. His reality becomes something tangible. No one has seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, which means that if we're loving each other, somebody could come into our community and they could say, God is here. God is present. I don't know exactly what's going on, but I feel the reality of God here. That's what I'm talking about. The church has an opportunity 
to be the community of love where people are finding the reality of God. May it be so. So, I've, I was thinking this week, um, asking myself the question, okay, so this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and this is what we're being called to be and do, and core, this is what you're being called to do, and I'm asking myself the question, how's it going? How's it going at loving other people? How's, how is the fruit of the Spirit being cultivated in your own life? And I'm sad to report, it's not going as well as I had hoped. Um, the fruit of a person's life is the evidence of what's going on on the interior. That's what Paul teaches here and in other places. That's what Jesus taught. He said, look, the, um, you know, the, the fruit of a tree, every tree is recognized by its fruit. You can tell if a tree is good or bad based off of what it's producing. And he's using that as an analogy. And he goes on to say, a good person uh, brings good things out of the good stored up within them. And an evil person brings out evil things out of the evil in them. And so what's coming out of us is the evidence of what's going on inside of us. And so I'm wondering, okay, what's going on inside of me? And as I've gone through uh, probably the hardest season of leadership that hopefully I'll ever have to go through, I'm getting bumped around and things are coming out. Things are spilling out of me. And I wish I was able to say, this is amazing, I'm, uh, uh, you know, things aren't going my way and then all of a sudden the fruit of the Spirit falls out of me. I'm so loving and I'm so kind and gentle and patient and, you know, forbearing and all these other things. But the truth is, I'm getting bumped into and what I'm finding spill out of me is the way of Cain. Pride and self-interest. I'm getting bumped into and what happens is I get irritable and I get upset and I look at somebody and I go, you're making my life much harder than it needs to be. And I'm looking at people, not with that humbly, humble disposition of love, but I'm looking at them as an obstacle. You, you are making my life miserable. And so instead of, instead of moving toward people in love and saying, look, I want what's best for you, I'll even suffer for that. I'm looking at other people with pride and self-interest. And so, what am I having to do nowadays? I'm having to confess that to God. He's doing a deep work in my soul. He's revealing the depths of my sinfulness. He's showing me what's really going on on the interior. Cor, you're a pastor. You claim to be all these, you know, to be pursuing the way of God. But look what happens when things don't go your way. The acts of the flesh are on display. So I confess them and I pray for forgiveness. And again, I said it last week, but this is going to be the, the pattern of our time together in this series. As God reveals these expressions of the acts of the flesh, the work that we need to do is what he told us to do in, in Galatians chapter 5, that we crucify the sinful nature with its desires and passions. We crucify those things by taking them to the cross and confessing them. This is me. This is what's really going on on the inside. This is the fruit of my life. And then we receive from God His forgiveness and His grace and the outpouring of His Spirit on us and the production then of the fruit of the Spirit. And we're raised up in this new way of life to live by the Spirit. So that's what we need to do. I'm doing that. I wonder if you need to do that as well. 
confess unbelief, trust in the gospel of God's grace, and be filled with the most excellent Spirit of God. And as we do that together, may we become a community of love. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that by your Spirit, you would be producing in us your fruit. Lord, we acknowledge the sin nature in us and the struggle that we have with it, but we want to crucify that nature with its desires and its passions, and we want to be filled with the Spirit of God that is love. Help us to do that for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.